to trust in grace through faith, but I'm asking to taste. For dark is light to you, depths are high to you. Far is near, but Lord, I need to hear from you.
Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Great to be with you once again. Hope uh, you're encouraged to be here to see uh, others in the church family. And uh, if I've met a few who are visiting here for the first time, maybe uh, you want to get more integrated into the church family, there's a way to do that at those kiosks in the back. There's a little welcome card and just a way of finding out all that's happening in the church. And so there can be more touch uh, points, but we do pray that anyone who wants to would feel welcome and more and more a part of Providence Church. So we take the Great Commission seriously. The Great Commission is at the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. So one of the things we do is that we partner uh, with missionaries across the globe with a specific focus on Central Asia. And so next week we'll have a missionary couple. We call them Peter and Mary. Peter and Mary will be in, and there are a number of touch points if you'd like to get to, to know them better. Uh, so Friday evening, there's a social at the Abules. Sunday afternoon, a social at the Anglehearts. We'll also interview them on Sunday morning uh, during church. 
Uh, men, we'll talk about the men's breakfast in a moment, but men's breakfast, Peter will be speaking. So lots of opportunities to meet the missionaries. Again, you'll hear stories about what God is doing in hard-to-reach places and what uh, Christians who are devoted to Jesus, the, the great sacrifice that they make to, to make his name known. So Peter and Mary, next weekend, please make sure to register because they're in homes. There's a limited number of spaces, but an opportunity for the church family to get to know uh, missionaries, some of the missionaries we support. Discover Providence, as you think about membership, we have high expectations of our members. So a week from today, that's the 11th of July, uh, we offer a, a kind of introduction to Providence Church. So it'll be um, uh, the history of the church, why we do two sacraments, what is the EFCA, those kinds of things. So please register 9 or 1030. You can attend a service and go to Discover Providence, but that's the first move uh, towards membership. It doesn't commit you to becoming a member, but it's the first step to becoming a member. So next week, Discover Providence. Men, I briefly mentioned before, so I won't uh, harbor on this uh, long, but the 10th Saturday morning, men's breakfast, men of all ages, great time to come. As I said, Peter will be there, so please join uh, the men's breakfast. Pastor Joe will be leading that. Love to have you. Church picnic. Church picnic is July 25th. We uh, miss meeting outside. You remember last year, 17 straight Sundays. So as a bit of a, a, a memory and uh, to, to go back to the good times we had, we'll be doing a church picnic at Schwartz Park, very close to where we are now here in Avon. So Schwartz Park, church picnic, July 25th, 5 to 8 p.m. And what we'll do is we'll provide the main dish and divide the alphabet for, for sides and desserts and things like that. But do mark it down, July 25th, 5 to 8 p.m. Finally, happy Independence Day to you. I am so exceedingly thankful for our republic, uh, for the great freedoms that we have, not least of which is to assemble and worship uh, the true God, but also for God's kindness to our founders and just uh, the thread of, of uh, Judeo-Christian liberty that runs through the ages. And the, the, the staff, I think, wisely vetoed my recommendation to do one of the Federalist Papers for the communal reading, uh, but we did compromise with this first hymn, which I hope is a, a great one for, for us to sing today as Pastor Jim calls us to worship. But glad you're here. We turn our attention to Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Let's stand and worship our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus, today. Sing this with us this morning. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful light of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory. Sing glory, glory. Serpent with his heel, sin's gone. 
forth the trump that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant in my feet. Our God is marching on in the beauty of the lid. Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men whole. Let us live to make men free while God is marching on. Glory, glory. Sing it, glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Sing it, glory, glory, hallelujah. We're singing glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Just our voices singing glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. your armor on hear the call of Christ our captain for now the weak can see that they are strong in the strength that God has given with shield of faith and build of truth we'll stand against the devil's lies an army bold whose battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness Our call to war To love the captive soul But to rage against the captor And with the sword That makes the wounded whole We will fight with faith and valor Trials on every side We know the outcome is secure And Christ will have the price for which he died In an inheritance of nations Arise.
the Son of God is stricken, then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see. Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the King of kings, who we get to sing to and worship to this morning. Let's continue worshiping the Lord in song today. sing to our great king this morning. 
the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running for there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt worthy of all of our praises today we praise the father singing
it's great to worship the King this morning. You can be seated. Happy Fourth of July! Um, I remember what what a treat the Battle Hymn of the Republic. When I was when I was I think five years old, we were in a small church, and I remember my dad was he couldn't carry a tune, but he was often asked because there were just a few guys if he could uh, if he could do the singing, and he couldn't carry a tune. It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> Um, but he was up there, and he would pick the Battle of the Hymn of the Republic almost every Sunday. I remember them asking him, you know, Harry, it's Christmas on Tuesday. Are you going to do the And he would, always the Patriot, always the Patriot. Um, before we pray this morning, I just would uh, just read a couple of verses from 2 Timothy again. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you this morning for the work that was done on the cross. We thank you for the victory we have that was covered by Jesus suffering and dying to pay for our sins. Lord, we praise and worship you this morning, and, are tr and you are truly the King of Kings. We pray today for our nation, Lord, and we ask that you would draw this country to the foot of the cross, transform the hearts and minds of our leaders, our government, all people, so that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. We continue to pray that this church would be a lighthouse in the community that, has, that was a vision from the start. We pray that it was, we would yield to the Holy Spirit to guide us in every step we take. Lord, we need you. We ask that you would help us to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us to everyone. Lord, we're going to have this opportunity July 4th. We're going to be around family, friends. Lord, lay on our hearts that we would bring the message of Jesus to people. Work in us, Lord, so we can show the mercy and the grace to others that you have so richly shown us. Lord, we thank you for those who serve here at Providence. We think of today of the men's and women's ministry and those who participate and would continue to develop relationships and would in turn disciple one another. Lord, we pray for the international students' ministry. We know it's summer, but we pray that those students who made a profession of faith would grow in Christ and that the leaders and volunteers would continue to connect with the students. We pray for aftershock and that your word continue, would continue to go forth and that Caleb would be able to balance the teaching and studies and the family uh, during this busy time for him. We're thankful for the children's ministry and, we, and, and the recent vacation Bible school. Lord, you provided so many leaders, so many volunteers. Lord, we pray that all the children who heard your word would come to know Christ as Savior. Lord, we think of those who are sick and ailing. We pray for Greg McDougall and his upcoming surgery and that he would recover quickly and you would guide the surgeon's hands. We thank you that Corky Roach is back at home and uh, 
We just pray as she continues to recover from AFib. Be with Carla and Doug as they care for her. Lord, we pray for Zach Perkins as he continues to, uh, to recover from uh, his surgeries and his treatments. Lord, be with his family. Comfort them. Lord, we do, do just ask this. For you, you are the great healer. Lord, we would thank you for our pastors. We thank you for Austin, Joe, Caleb, Ian, and, of course, Jim. Lord, we pray for their families, that they would be first uh, great leaders and fathers in their homes. Lord, help the staff, elders, and congregation to love them well and support them. Lord, finally, today we would thank you for Jim, Sierra, Josiah, and Ella. We thank you so much for bringing them to Providence. We pray that, most of all, that they would... Uh, they would feel welcomed and loved by the body here. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So would you please stand with us as you read from God's word? Luke 9, starting at verse 37, please. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, 
I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Rick and Dawn. If you think of anyone you respect, really in any area of life, and you get to know them, and you ask a question to say, how did you, you know, make it in this particular area? Inevitably, you'll have them say something like, the chances I had to learn from failure were crucial. That it was through uh, various misunderstandings and missing the mark and receiving correction, say that was absolutely essential to my development. And today, we read this passage, and at first sight, if you're like me, you're reading this, you say, wow, this is kind of just scene stacked up upon scene. Uh, what is the thread that runs through this last part of Luke chapter 9? And I would submit to you really what it is, is it's misunderstandings and failures of disciples or would-be disciples. That God, in his infinite wisdom, would give us these various scenes so that we today might learn lessons of what it means to really follow Jesus. So you take a big zoom out, remember what we're dealing with here, right? That Luke is a Greco-Roman biography. A lot of people tampered with the Gospels. You know, what kind of thing is this? Say, really what it is, it's the impression that Jesus made on his immediate followers and instructions to us is how you really follow Jesus. See, after all, isn't that why we're here, right? To be obedient and committed followers of Jesus. And this is a great opportunity for us to see where do the disciples miss the mark, both in practice and in understanding, and how uh, does that inform us today as to how we can follow him uh, better? Before we're too harsh on the disciples, I think it's uh, important to remember the context and why, uh, why they're uh, off the mark here. You remember last week, Pastor Randy, well, he's an elder, uh, Randy, Pastor Elder Randy, uh, led us in the middle part of Luke chapter 9, and the last scene is Jesus up on the mountain of transfiguration that he takes a subset of disciples and he is glorified. And you think of everything that they had seen at this point, everything in the gospel up to this point really is communicating what? Jesus is Lord of all, that there's no problem too great for him. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Elijah. He forgives sins. He commands nature. He raises the dead. In fact, Jesus is God in the flesh. What can possibly go wrong if we're with him? So you could imagine they would have thought they arrived. You remember the great declaration? Again, same chapter, right? Who do people say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Messiah. Say, That's right, the Messiah is here, this great figure of salvation. And so the disciples, if you're there, say, what are you thinking? You must be thinking, the rest of my life's going to be grand. Say, everything this guy touches turns to gold, and for whatever reason, I'm on his team. I mean, it's just going to be great. There's going to be adulation. There's going to be praise. There's going to be victory. We're going to do amazing things. There's going to be recognition. What could possibly go wrong? That's what you're thinking. But what we'll see is that real discipleship looks different than what we'd expect in, we'd say, a worldly understanding. That to be a real disciple of Jesus takes some interesting terms and it turns, and I hope today that we see again, what does it really mean to follow him? So we'll take these various lessons, five lessons, I think, in sequence. So lesson one, verses 37 to 43. Sad story, isn't it? You've got a father of an only son. 
this boy, evidently, it's always a challenge whether you apply uh, you know, modern medical terms back on antiquity, but I think it looks something like epilepsy, doesn't it? But not only epilepsy, but this boy is described as having a demon, and this dark influence in his life is creating a lot of physical damage, right? Look at that graphic uh, line there in 39, right, that this demon convulses him, his epilepsy convulses him, and it shatters him. You say, what a sad scene. A small boy, say the physical ailments of what he's going through, who can help? Father Reason says, well, he hears about Jesus, and there's a group of disciples around him that are following him, and he hears of the great works they're doing. He says, I'm going to go to those disciples. Maybe those disciples can help my boy. But verse 40, you see what happens. The father says to Jesus, I begged your disciples to cast out the demon, but they couldn't do it. They say, well, why couldn't the disciples do it? I mean, other places, right, in Acts, I mean, they are given this power. They've done it on other occasions. Why in this instance can they not do it? Why is there failure? And clearly, right, what happens next? Jesus is not happy. Whatever's happened here, he's not happy. What does he say? He bursts out. He says, you know, faithless generation, uh, faithless and twisted generation. Who's he talking to? Maybe not just the disciples, but I think all the onlookers. It seems Jesus is frustrated why he needs to be physically present in order to do uh, this particular uh, exorcism or healing. Here's where, again, I think God, very wise, gives us four Greco-Roman biographies of Jesus. And this story is told in Mark and and Matthew. And if you read those different accounts, it it helps. It's like a many-sided prism. We get another angle. And I think in, in our case today... Matthew's account's very enlightening. It adds a little bit extra. And what happens, the disciples privately come to Jesus afterwards and they say, why weren't we able to do it? And Jesus says, because you had little faith. Now, I don't think some have taken this, right, particularly in charismatic circles, that, uh, you know, healings and these kinds of things are just a formula. You know, if we claim that we have enough faith, then it will happen. I don't think that's what it's about. Really, I think the thrust of this is that the disciples kind of relaxed in the great uh, moment of being on Jesus' team have turned to self-sufficiency, that they've stopped having faith in him as their real source of power. Say, well, now that we can go out and do all this stuff ourselves, let's leave Jesus on the periphery. We can do it. So I think the real lesson here, right, the lesson why Jesus is upset is to say even mature disciples still need him very much. You might be a Christian a long time. Some in our congregation, I'm very thankful, 40, 50 years, maybe more, say, may we never be those who say, you know what, I can do this on my own now because I'm so well-trained. I'm on the Jesus squad. Say, no, we need a desperate dependence upon him. You know, reading this, I think, takes me to John 15. It's an extraordinary chapter, right? The vine and the branches. And Jesus says that line, without me, you can do nothing. I think that's overstating it a bit, don't you think? Say, no, Jesus means it. Without him, I can do nothing of lasting value. The real ministry and discipleship, to be a real follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, to walk with him in obedience, say, all that comes from a dependence upon him for our strength and our power to walk with him and to advance the kingdom. That's lesson one, right? True disciples really need Jesus all the days of our lives. We're dependent upon him. Self-sufficiency, lack of faith is a great enemy. Now, a little sidebar here. I want to work it in because it's so very important for the times in which we live. You say, this father, despite being disappointed by the failures of the disciples... He doesn't lose faith in Jesus. 
friends, so very important for our times. Say we read the same news, right? We hear about a Christian leader going down. Many here, you've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by people in the church. You've witnessed people in the church disagree. And you say, well, the way that they disagree looks a lot like the world disagrees. On and on it goes. And what we do is say, well, look at this. I'm done with Jesus. How easy this father, because these disciples, you know, they're a bunch of, a bunch of goofballs and knuckleheads. They're, they're good for nothing. You know, they claim a lot, but no thanks. He doesn't. He knows where the power is. Say, may we never lose faith in this great Savior, that he's worthy of us following him and devoting our lives to him and obeying him, that we need him, that that's where true discipleship starts. So lesson one, true disciples need Jesus. Self-sufficiency is the enemy. Lesson two, 43 to 45. What happens now? I love this little line, how very contemporary, as those of us with kids, you remember having kids, it's one of these moments, you know, you really need to pay attention. Uh, the, the disciples, I would imagine, are delighting in the great adulation, right? Many are marveling in this. He's cast out the demon. This epileptic boy is restored. We've seen it time and time again. This is fantastic. The crowds are coming. What an exciting life we have. And then what does Jesus say? He grabs the disciples. Look at verse 44. Amazing, isn't it? Let these Words sink into your ears. You say, it's one of those, you know, you ever really got to corral your kid? You look in and you grab him by the side of his, I really need you to listen to this right now. And what he unpacks, right? Hey, boys, I'm going to be handed over to people who hate God. And the implication clearly is that he's going to die. Now, you're a disciple. Say, what do you, where's your grid for this? Say, wait, you're, you're the Christ, you're God's great messianic, you're God's great savior, you're, you're the great, surely you're going to throw out the Romans and, and uh, it's not going to look that way. Jesus says, no, I'm going to suffer. Say, what an important lesson for us of the way to victory. That Christianity, if I can use that term in the good sense of the term, right, that at the core of what it is is say victory is found in a very odd place. Victory is found in the crucified carpenter. You say, well, God could have done anything, right? How about great, great signs and wonders and great power, just, you know, winning by fiat? Why the man on the cross? You say, but that is what is so dear to those of us who have faith, right? That we preach nothing but Christ crucified. The way that God won the victory is by coming in humility in the Lord Jesus, the crucified Messiah who took the sins, our sins, right? The wrath that we incurred from rebelling against God and doing life on our own terms, that Jesus absorbed that for us in history, and that's where real power is. You know, there's a word here that I, it, it sounds like a mouthful, but it's actually quite a nice word that we can talk about cruciformity or, or cruciform, uh, a cruciform discipleship. And all that means is that we pattern our lives on the, the cross of Jesus. You say, well, we celebrate this at Easter. Jesus goes to the cross. He raises that's nice, important historical event it is. You say, really what I think here and elsewhere, not least of which is earlier in chapter 9, take up your cross and follow me, right? All real disciples take up the cross of Jesus and follow him. Say, real discipleship, we pattern our very lives on Jesus' suffering and resurrection, on what happened at the cross. So think of all the things that have happened in your life, even this week. So we carry around a lot of wounds, don't we? A lot of sad things, embarrassing things, disappointing things, sinful things. If I didn't say that, say, what do, what do, you, what do you do with that if you're a Christian? You say, well, actually, 
that can be crucified with Christ, that I can offload, right, all that sin and baggage onto him with the full confidence that it will be raised up in victory. Partially here today that I can turn it over, he can restore and heal, right, because he is victorious, he is raised now, but in the end that all that pain in my life is going to be raised up. That's what I mean, the cruciformity of real discipleship that we model our lives on the self-denial of Jesus. Victory in the odd place of the cross. And I think you start to look for this, right? It runs straight through Scripture. I've been doing, in the evenings, I've been doing kind of an in-depth study of Revelation. In chapter 5, who can open the scroll? Who, who can undo the seals? And you say, well, there's, there he is. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the great root from David, the great cosmic figure. He's very powerful. The next line, he looks like a lamb who is slain. Say, what a picture it is. Jesus, the great victor. He triumphs over all. He can do anything. He's God in the flesh. But God, in his kindness, put him forth as a slain lamb to remind us that why we're disciples here, that our lives will be those marked by self-denial and a fair bit of suffering. But as we model our lives on the Lord Jesus, right, that he can offload all that sin and baggage onto him and that he'll raise it up. You know, I, I hesitate to use too many references from the Reformation. If not, I could use one for every moment of every sermon, but I try to spare you to keep you, keep you hungry. But I think this is an important one. Say, Luther, you know, was very caught up on, on works to get right with God. He's very anxious. And Luther had a mentor, a man named Johannes Staupitz. And Luther would later say, Staupitz is the real father of the Reformation. But at one point, Staupitz gave Luther a golden phrase. He said, Martin, in your theology, begin with the wounds of Christ. He said, real disciples begin with the wounds of Christ. We have a crucified Messiah. Victory's in an odd place. God in his kindness has done that for us. Say, if we think life is going to be grand, say, no, following him... Uh, places demands on us. So lesson number two, Jesus' suffering on the cross is central to the message and central to really following him and being obedient to him. Okay, lesson number three, 46 to 48, very relevant, right? An argument arose among the disciples about who was the greatest. Now, common, any setting that we're in, what do we normally do? Say, this is a fallen human nature. You get into a little group and you start debating, well, which one of us is most valuable? You know, which one of us, in this case, does Jesus recognize the most? You know, who, who of us is the indispensable player on the team? You know, we, we, again, I think a lot of us think this way. You're in a, in a company, right? You say, well, how do I rise up a bit and who do I got to take down to, to get up there? It's a zero-sum game that some are great and some are not that great, and I'm on that ladder and I'm clawing my way up and the disciples get into this uh, battle. It's the comparison game. So the comparison game, God has inbuilt in us psychologically, I think, a warning to say this is not healthy. Because what happens in the comparison game? You find somebody, you say, you know, that person's really a lot better than, than I am, and we fall into self-pity. And self-pity is, a, you know, I think... A, a shame to God because he made us just the way that he made us. Self-pity is a great sin. Or we find somebody that was, you know, below us and say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. I'm much better than that guy. And we swell with pride. The comparison game is lethal and it enslaves. And here are these disciples who say, now, you know, which one of us is Jesus think is the most important? Or which one of us is the most important employer, the best person, or, or the greatest Christian, or the indispensable member of Providence Church? And Jesus, rather than a discourse here, 
he gives us an illustration. What's he do? He goes and finds a little child, right? Child there walking around Galilee, brings him up into the middle. Say, children in those days, say, we've come a long way with children. Say, children in antiquity, not important members of society. Say, well, here's this boy. Nobody knows his name. Uh, Insignificant, means nothing to very few. And Jesus takes this boy and he says, the way that we treat this boy, this lowly person in our midst, is a reflection upon whether you understand what God has done in Jesus, that he's put Jesus forth, and to accept Jesus is to accept God. So here's the great breakthrough here, right? Status for the Christ follower, status for the disciple, isn't about jockeying for position in the world. It's about loving Jesus and being obedient to him. Real disciples are very careful with worldly ambitions that we know our status is whether we're pleasing our Lord and King. So again, lesson one, real disciples need Jesus for any ministry effectiveness. We need him all the days of our life. Lesson two, the suffering on the cross is central to real obedience. Lesson three, be very careful with earthly ambitions. Christians don't get caught up in that game that we have a different Lord and a different master. Now, lesson four, uh, grouped together here, I think from 49 all the way to 56, kind of a similar theme there. So we'll take these in turn. So 49, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to them, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. What problem do the disciples have here? I say, I put this in the camp of ecclesiastical snobbery. Say, well, you know, they've got the, a little bit right, but be, because they're not with us, we got to confront them. Say, there is a time and a, and a place to confront others, but I think Jesus has given us a gift here. And what he says is, you can spend a lot of your time telling everybody else what they're doing wrong instead of focusing on what we're for. Say, there are a lot of churches. I have disagreements with a lot of churches. I'm sure you do too. Doctrinal boundaries are important. But if we think the primary mission of our church is to tell everybody else how they're wrong, to say we've really missed it. What we're for is what God has done in Jesus. He's put forth Jesus to assuage the wrath of God and all who repent and come to him can be reconciled and live a life of purpose. That's what we're for can spend a lifetime talking about what we're against. Say, but we don't want to do that. We want to be for what God has done in Jesus. That's the lesson here. No room for ecclesiastical snobbery. Uh, yes, protecting doctrinal boundaries, as we'll continue to see, but always be what we're for rather than what we're against. And that's the next scene, right? Verse 51, that they're going through. Uh, there's Samaritans there. And you know, say, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. These groups are bitter enemies. And the Samaritans... Don't receive Jesus. Now, we know from elsewhere in the Bible, this is, this is serious business, right? There's one way to be reconciled with God, and that is to accept what Jesus has done on the cross. So the disciples in their diagnosis are correct to say, this is serious that these Samaritans uh, have rejected Jesus. But what do James and John want to do? Can you see down there in verse 54? When the disciples, James and John, saw this, a rejection of Jesus... They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them, right? Just in the days of Elijah. Say, well, they disagree with me. Let's, let's zap them. Say, there's, I must say, there's been a lot of times in my life where I thought about this. I really love that right now. Say, this person is really not accepting how clear I've been with the gospel. You know, they rejected Jesus. God, bring down the fire. Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. 
See, what we're reminded of here, right, 51 to 56, is the patience of God. I know many in our congregation today, I'm very thankful for the patience of God. There were times where I didn't do what the Lord wanted. Some of us said, no thanks, just like these Samaritans. Say others, right, I bring down fire on them, but God in his patience, until the full number of the elect are called in, right? God in his patience, he says, that's not what true discipleship's about, right? Say, yeah, absolutely, preach the gospels, rejecting Jesus, serious, absolutely. But we don't want to have the emotion of calling down fire on enemies, rather to posture ourselves as being cheerful followers of Jesus, ever proclaiming, being kind and moving forward. So I think lesson four, right, is let's focus on what we're for rather than what we're against, or what God has done in Jesus. Last lesson. Now we pivot here in verse 57, not uh, to the, we look not to the disciples, but to what we could call would-be disciples, potential disciples, right? And three of them, and Jesus gives three very short and I think sharp sayings, again, to communicate a lesson to us. So first chap comes, we don't know him, and he, he promises too much too soon. He says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. He's all in. But Jesus knows he's not thought about this carefully enough. He says something quite striking, right? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, he's saying, but I have nowhere to lay his head. What he's saying, he said, do you realize that I, I'm homeless? I'm an itinerant preacher. In other words, what he's telling this guy is, do you know the demands of being a disciple of mine? Say, how many of us through the ages, right? Say, well, actually, I like that get-out-of-hell-free card. That's quite nice. And, you know, he says some nice things. I mean, turn the other cheek. Who wouldn't like that? I'm all bored. I- I'm in. Oh, but that bit about taking up your cross, about real obedience, about living it out. Say, that's a bit too much. So this first would-be disciple, right? He's promised too much too soon. Now, the second one, you say, well, he is too little too late, right? That this time, Jesus invites this, verse 59, someone to follow him. And what he says is, first, let me go and bury my father. Say, a very reasonable thing to do, you'd think. But Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I personally think this is a bit hyperbolic, right? All of us say, if we took this literally, say we'd never be at our father's funerals. But what he's trying to communicate to this guy is to say, in your life, there will be loads of distractions, there's a gazillion things that you can think to do rather than be a disciple of Jesus. Say, I can put more time in at work, I can invest in more people, have more, you know, whatever it might be. Say, there are always going to be other things to sideline the main calling on the disciple's life. He says the priority. The priority is Jesus in the life of the disciple. And same with this last fellow, right? That he says, I'll follow you, Jesus, but let me say farewell to those in my house first, you know, to say goodbye to him. And Jesus, the analogy again in the plow, say, if you're at the plow and you look back, you say, you're at a task, you're all in, and you look back, you're going to swerve to the right or the left. Again, the same message comes forth that being a follower of Jesus requires real commitment. You know, Bonhoeffer, you got to be careful with a lot of his theology, but I think he was absolutely correct on this point of cheap grace. He says, a lot of us want the cheap grace, not the costly grace. That these three, 57 to 62, remind us there are real demands on being a Christ follower, and those demands feel like they're increasing in our own time, in our own place. Are we equipped as a church to really follow him and to be all in? Say, thank you, Lord, for including these lessons for us. You run your own life through this grid. It can be hard for me. I'm inclined towards self-sufficiency. I'm a pastor, been a pastor 11 years. Do I really need Jesus? I know what I'm doing now. Say, oh, yes, I do. 
Say, am I willing to recognize the cruciformity, the cruciform call of the Christian life? That my life's to be patterned on that death and resurrection, that it's not easy. Am I careful with earthly ambitions? Am I caught up in knocking others down so that I look good? Am I after approbation lust? Say, may it not be. Lesson four, can I focus on what I'm for rather than I'm against? Is I can get into a lot of debates? No, wait. God's put forth Jesus. Repent and come to him. That's what we're for. Lesson five, being a real disciple is demanding. Friends, to be a Christ follower, we must look differently than the world, and that's a good thing. As we yield to him and trust him and rely on him, say, may we be a church, not of casual Christians. Say, the world's got plenty of those, but may we be committed disciples of him. Thank you, Lord, for these lessons. As we prepare now, the team will come back up. We'll take the Lord's Supper in a moment, but again, to, to think about this great Savior that we have and how following him is quite counterintuitive to the way the world works, but in his meekness and humility, say, that's where the victory lies, and that victory is for all those who've trusted in him. Lord, Help us not to be too harsh on these disciples. I would have been right there after the transfiguration. Go, Jesus, go. This is going to be fantastic. But to remember you're the, the suffering king. That a life of obedience after you is one of self-denial. It is one of sacrifice, not because we're, we're able to do it, but because, again, we've so hopefully trusted you. Lord, I pray that, again, we would be brought more and more into this line of truly follow you, while none of us will, will ultimately arrive at being the perfect disciple, say never, but help us to move uh, towards this way. And when there are cultural strings tucking, uh, tugging us in various ways, again, may we come back to the truth to be real followers. Raise us up to that end. In Christ's name, amen. stand and continue worshiping our great God together this morning. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer for there is no more for heaven now to give He is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this i hold my hope is only jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine i can see all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deep 
that Jesus was betrayed, he instituted a, a sign, uh, or the word sacrament, which means sign, for all those who've put their faith in Jesus, for all who've recognized him as the chosen one that can reconcile us to him, that as we entrust our lives to him and surrender to him, say God has sealed us, and today we celebrate the ordinance of that sealing, to say we've received Jesus and that we're right with God. And so that being said, that uh, some here today, you're not a Christian, that you've not entrusted your life to Jesus, you don't recognize him as the one and only Savior, we would just ask that you wouldn't take communion, that it's something that Christ followers do. 
But Jesus, in these uh, instructions, that we have a, a few uh, things to think about, and the first of which is that we need to be right with him, that how wonderful that we have a Lord who says, if you confess your sins, that he's a faithful and just to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. You say, that's an ongoing promise to Christians. So why don't we take a few moments, think back this week, things you said, wish you didn't say, things you could have done that you didn't, all the things weighing on you, say what a joy it is to say we can offload those onto Jesus. So may we confess privately now. So we're also told to be mindful of the church family, that there is one loaf and one cup. And really what that's about is that God, for the, his reasons, has called this group of people together in this small little part of his globe. So you can look around the room or think about around the room, say, God's given me a great gift in the church family. And in the truth of what God has done, right, in the truth of this ordinance, say that's what we're to build one another up into unity. So can we give thanks for our brothers and sisters? We think back to the body of Jesus and that shed blood. So say, how do we know this is true? It's not just words of a minister or something. You say, well, thank goodness God put him forth in history. That today, why does Paul say we preach nothing but Christ crucified? Say, that's what we celebrate. Can we give thanks to Jesus now for coming down, for the sacrifice that he made, his body and the spilled blood, to guarantee salvation to the elect? Finally, we think about how we'll leave the assembly, the covenant family, to go out into the world, and we're told that we're going to proclaim this truth uh, through our witness that God's light would shine through it. So in that end, can we uh, undo the top tab here and remove the bread? The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember Jesus. And if we could undo the second tab. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, the blood of Christ that cleanses us. We take it together. We thank you, Lord, for our great salvation, for the church family for the hope that we have in Christ. We can stand for our final hymn, a great one, how firm a foundation the saints have in Jesus. Mm -hmm.
saints of the Lord is late for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled with us be not dismayed for he is our god our sustainer and strength he'll be our defender and cause us to stand upheld by his merciful almighty
And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? May we not be ashamed of our gospel. May we be real disciples of the real king. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before your glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Please meet someone new. It won't be awkward uh, because I've asked you to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs>